it's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, August 2nd, 2012. sure this is what I want to do today. Kind of late to change things, but I have some spare stories, so. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. So I'm going to start off with a question today. We're just going to tee it up and ask the question. I'm going to answer it in the second half of the first hour. In fact, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this. Um, The the question is this. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, I think, what, 15, where Jesus says uh, that beware of false prophets, they will come to you as wolves in sheep's clothing. By their fruit you will know them. What does Jesus mean there when he says fruit? What does he mean? Does it mean that, uh, you know, vicious wolves are going to come at us? They're going to be false prophets, false teachers. They're going to come at us, and you will know them by their fruit because um, they sacrifice small children, uh, They because they don't have any good works. What does it mean when Jesus says fruits? A lot of people automatically think, well, what he's referring to there is that they don't have any good works. They don't have any good deeds. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna blow that up today. Uh, we're, the, the, I, the more I hear, you know, what's going on in you know American evangelicalism and and evangelicalism across the world, over and again, there's a whole bunch of people out there who have this misguided notion that that text is really telling us that uh, you know that fruits equals good works. And I'm going to just say it right up front. That's not what that text says, and that's not what Jesus meant. I know that might come as a shock to some of you, but what I would encourage you to do today is stay tuned and listen, because um, in the second half of the first hour, I'm going to do an extended teaching with the help of a written sermon, um, which means I have to actually read it. (laughs) <laughs> um, Pastor uh, 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 Daniel O'Connor oh, oh, at the uh, Lutheran Church out the Faith Lutheran Church out in Greenfield, Indiana. It, it's you know it's head out of Indianapolis, head towards Ohio. You'll you, you'll run past the city of Greenfield on your way to Ohio. But uh, he recently preached a sermon on this text, and uh, you know, the thing that I have to commend him for is is that the, uh, the in the sermon he really comes straight out of the shoot, basically saying. That's not talking about good works. That's talking about their teaching. And so I'm going to spend an extended time today. I'm going to read a huge portion of the sermon that he recently delivered. And then I'm also going to back it up with some other biblical text and uh, even show you from like, you know, the Lutheran Study Bible and commentaries that that's not talking about that, that wolves in sheep's clothing would have no good works. That's not that's not the fruit that we're supposed to be testing for, and that's not the fruit that Jesus is talking about. And, and there's a consistent biblical teaching that goes along with this that I'm going to share with you. 
And I think it's important. I want to lay this down today so that I can refer back to it if I need to. But, uh, you know, that's one of the things we're going to be doing today. In fact, let's just talk about what we're going to do on this edition of Fighting for the Faith. I have an email that I want to get to. Uh, Pastor Daniel Price of uh, Trinity Church of Northwest Arkansas has sent me an email regarding the sermon that I reviewed, not yesterday, but the day before, uh, where we had to basically learn that the Bible is teaching us that we need to we need to know less Bible, that in order to be obedient, you need less information. Less, less, less is less. Less means less Bible means more obedience. And uh, he sent me an email responding to that. I've got a uh, Patricia King gang update. H- have you ever wondered how to prophesy? I mean, have you ever thought, you know, how did the prophets do it? I mean. You know, here you got uh, you know guys like Isaiah and Jeremiah, and they and they would say, "Thus saith the Lord." And so, and you're thinking, "Man, I would really like to be a prophet." And so, you know, and you just would like to know how you go about becoming a prophet. <laughs> well, don't worry, we have an an instructional how-to video from a, a kind of a new folk, a new person on the uh, Patricia King. Uh, website xpmedia.com. Her, her name is Lenny Walker. But the the name of the video is How to Prophesy. I mean, if you've ever wondered, you know, just the nuts and bolts, how do you prophesy? Well, you're not going to be disappointed because, well, we've got this nuts and bolts how-to information that you too can apply to your life so that you can begin prophesying, you know, just like, the, like that. Because all you got to do is apply the proper steps and procedures and, and, and policies and principles and whammo blammo, you too can be a prophet, just like Isaiah, just like Jeremiah. <laughs> if you sound, if it sounds like there's some incredulity in my voice, well, <laughs> there is. And then for hour number two, we have a sermon that we're going we're to go down to Cross Point Church in Nashville, Tennessee. They recently had a guest uh, preacher by the name of Al Andrews, and the name of his sermon that we will be reviewing is called Dream and do. I mean, this is, don't you understand that because you are made in the image of God, we can use some fun Latin phrases like the Imago Dei, you know, that because you have been made in the image of God, that God has a great imagination and, and see, God imagines things and then he springs into action to make the things in his imagination come about. And you too can, can exercise your God-given Imago Day imagination and and cause things to happen in the world that just and see that's the godly thing to do. <sighs> you, you just can't make this up anymore. It's like what has happened to Christian preaching nowadays? Um, it's as if, um, <laughs> for lack of a better way of putting it, I mean, if if you think well biblically, I mean, the the um, picture that's given of the church, the church is the bride of Christ. I I'm. I'm thinking that the bride of Christ is, uh, well, she's cheating on Jesus. I mean, that's the only way I can think about it. In fact, it's gotten so bad, I'm beginning to think that the bride of Christ is down on the corner of, you know, 109th and whatever, Washington Street, hooking. You know, it's it's gotten that bad. And so, <sighs> it's just absolutely frustrating. You know, it's 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 painful to listen to difficult to watch and you know my question is really how long before uh the bride of christ repents of her harlotry and comes back to her husband and prays for forgiveness because he is kind and merciful and forgiving but at some point i think you know if this keeps up it makes me wonder if uh, jesus is going to issue a certificate of divorce 
Good night. Anyway, all right, so uh, with that, we're going <laughs> to just opening thoughts there. We're going to dive into the program proper. Here we go. email today comes to us via Pastor Daniel Price, Trinity Church in uh, northwest Arkansas. They're in the Bentonville area. Actually, not, not the area. They're in the city of Bentonville itself. The subject of the email reads, Don't Think, Just Do. Pastor Price writes, he says, Dear Chris, the, the sermon review yesterday was further proof of what I've been noticing in Christianity as a whole, the idea that knowledge works against action. That learning only limits your zeal and effectiveness, and mostly that knowing about Jesus gets in the way of actually knowing him. It's the false idea that knowing about God and being in a relationship with God are two totally different things. This leads them to pitting two things against each other that are not in reality at war. It's the right foot fighting the left. This is very prevalent in the charismatic movement and now in the seeker movement as well. Really, any theology that allows you to hear directly from God outside of scriptures seems to end up somewhere down this road. The so-called presence of God is far more important than knowledge of God. It's high on emotion, low on thought. It's high on experience, low on scripture. It's high on doing and low on learning. Ultimately, it's high on law and void of the gospel. Great point, Pastor Price. This is all in an effort to keep the congregation's Bibles closed and hands busy. Unstudied, busy people ask few questions. So these folks cite Matthew 25 and say that it's doers that know Jesus while calling those who study theology and teaching uh, the new Pharisees. But yet, I'm reminded of two sisters who interacted with Jesus personally in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Here's what it says. Now, as they were on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, "'Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone?' Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Yeah, <laughs> let me read that again. Mary, the one who sat at the feet of Jesus doing nothing but listening, um, she has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. What was the one thing necessary that Mary was doing? What was the good portion that she had chosen? To sit and to be taught, to listen to the teaching of Jesus, to be a student and to gain knowledge. Today, this one necessary thing cannot be done without the study of Scripture. The good portion cannot be chosen outside of the reading, and I would even add the hearing of the Word of God. You cannot know Christ and not know about Christ. Great points. Your brother in the fight, Daniel, Pastor Daniel Emery Price. Great email. Couldn't agree with you more. I didn't, you know, absolutely. I mean, 
I think the story of Mary and Martha completely obliterates and blows up this false teaching that somehow Bible knowledge and data gets in the way of obedience to Jesus. How on earth are you supposed to obey Jesus if you have no clue what he's said? This doesn't make any sense. All right, moving along. Are you looking for relevant how-to instructions on how you too can become a prophet? Have you always wanted to be like Isaiah, Jeremiah, or even Amos? Well, I've got some great instructional <clears throat> material from xpmedia.com. Uh, the, the, the name of the video is How to Prophesy. Yeah, it's from Lenny Walker. Dunamis Training Center. How to do the works of Jesus? You like healing, giving sight to the blind, things like that? I mean, there'd be nothing less effective if you were doing, you know, prophetic outreach to do it in a less than relaxed manner. You know, if I were to prophesy in a relaxed manner, that would require me to wear my fuzzy bunny slippers. You know, I'm just saying. Please, I've always wondered. Mm, so any old message I feel is from God, I just got to go and give it to the person. Oh, yeah, I had no idea it was so subjective. I mean, you'd think, I mean, you know, I mean, if you look at uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and the, and the prophets, when the word of the Lord came to them, it really didn't seem to be a very subjective experience. These were very specific words, and they really weren't guessing at all that, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> really? Okay, so prophecy is just to build up, no tearing down at all. Uh huh. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> this sounds backwards to me. Hang on. I, I, I'm beginning to think that this is backwards. I, I this this woman may not understand biblical prophecy. Hang on. It's in Jeremiah chapter 23. All right. Let's see. Um. Yep, here it is, 23, I'll start at verse 9, concerning the prophets. This is Jeremiah prophesying, prophesying the word of the Lord. My heart is broken within me, all my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers. <laughs> Uh-oh, maybe Jeremiah wasn't a real prophet. The land is full of adulterers because of the curse 
Uh, the land mourns, and the pastures of the wilderness are dried up. Their course is evil. Their might is not right. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house I have found their evil, declares the Lord. Therefore, <laughs> their way shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness into which they shall be driven and fall. For I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. Okay, let's hear her describe prophecy again. Hang on. Apparently, Jeremiah didn't get the memo. Yeah, so build up, not beat down. Let me continue reading here. Okay. Um, I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. In the prophets of Samaria, I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people, Israel, astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery. They walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into the land. <laughs> uh-huh. Let me continue. This is great. I mean, this some, I mean, here is anybody listening that, you know, who calls themselves a Christian denying the fact that Jeremiah was a prophet? I mean, Jeremiah doesn't sound anything like this what this woman's talking about. Anyway, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from my mouth, uh, <laughs> or not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster will come upon you. Wait a second. This woman in her, her How to Prophesy video sounds like she's teaching how to prophesy the way of the false prophets of Israel. And we're just going to build you up. No problem. Nothing's going to happen to you. Yeah, nah, yeah. In fact, we're, those prophets are going to say, there's no such thing as prophecy that tears down or confronts people with their sin. Yet Jeremiah is doing that. <clears throat> Let me continue reading. For who among them, the false prophets, has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth in a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his hearts. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from their evil deeds. All right, back, back to the, uh, this instructional video. Okay, 
So your profits don't even have to be 100% accurate. They can just be sort of kind of accurate from time to time. They can make all kinds of mistakes. <laughs> all right, let me see if I got this straight. Okay, so somebody from the your Dunamis Prophecy Training Center comes to me and says, Chris, I, ha I feel on my heart uh, something that is going to build you up. And so they prophesy this thing, and it doesn't come to pass. But they say, thus saith the Lord, and it, but it doesn't come to pass. I should conclude that God didn't speak to them, right? Right. Okay, so, <clears throat> I mean, at what, I mean, these, this kind of prophecy, at what point does it become even worth listening to? When they're batting 300? I mean, you know, most baseball players, what, they only get on base one in three times. So, I mean, they're, it's so prophets nowadays are like baseball players. About a third of the time, 33% of the time, they can tell you something that really is from God. The rest of the, the two-thirds of the time, you know, that's not from him. You sure this is biblical prophecy? Right. So, see, so you can, too can just figure out the word of the Lord but you're, you're going to skin your knees and fall a couple of times. Yeah, but if they're wrong, are they really receiving those words from the Lord? That doesn't make any sense. How do you know it's from the Holy Spirit? Because if it's wrong, God doesn't lie. That means it's not from the Holy Spirit. You are aware that the biblical test of a prophet make it clear that if a prophet prophesies something and it doesn't come to pass, they're considered a false prophet. And back in ancient Israel, that would result in stoning, you know? Oh, yeah, a word of destiny, yeah. A, a word of to be, got it. Yeah, that that's some destiny talk right there. Isn't that what the Mormons do regarding the Book of Mormon? They, you know, they they're burn their bosoms burn. Yeah, this is all subjectivity, by the way. So if you got a prophet in training, you know, declaring the words of the Lord over you, you know, they're probably wrong. Oh, please do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the prophecy doesn't come to pass, so I got to reject it. So, 
Um, the, the other issue is what are they teaching? What's their theology? All right. Boy, this is just chasing your subjective tail. Wow. And um, there could be three faces of what people say to you. It could be from the owner, especially if it's raised up fear and anxiety. And so, I, th so one of your prophets who's been to your dunamis training school, while they're in training, they could actually prophesy something <laughs> from the evil one? Sign me up. I can hardly wait to hear something from these prophets. And things that are not of the fruit of the Spirit. But um, there could be ways that you know immediately that I'm from God and you can just what if I have a big question mark inside of me? What if I have a Mack truck inside of me? Come to think of it, what if I have one of those dodo birds inside of me? You know, I mean, with all these weird things that can be inside of me, I mean, it sounds like a strange place inside of there. Timing of the Lord. Um, but some of that you might not be sure about, mm -hmm. you can just wait and hold it before the Lord. We call it putting it on yourself. So... <laughs> So let me see if I got this way. right. Um, so one of your prophets in training comes to me and gives me some upbuilding word of the Lord, supposedly, regarding my destiny. And because, of course, everybody knows that no true prophet would confront people with their sins the way the uh, prophet Jeremiah or Isaiah did. Um, and so I, I, when I get this, if I don't have an immediate you know, leaping inside of me, um, that, you know, inside of me going, yes, 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 then it, I could, it could either be the, the, the devil speaking through that prophet. This is not, by the way, just the possibility that the devil is speaking through this prophet is not really making me feel like they're really doing well in their training. <laughs> Why should I listen to them? That being the case, since you've already said that it could be from the evil one, Every one of the so-called prophecies coming from your prophets in training have got to go on the shelf, and you probably um, you remember the movie Ghostbusters? You know when they you know they had the the ghost containment unit. You know that's what I'm thinking we ought to do with these prophecies: put them in some kind of a containment grid because if they get out, they could probably wreak destruction on the planet. Yeah, <laughs> boy. There's just, I there's no reason to have any confidence that the folks who are graduating from the Dunamis uh, Prophecy Training School in <laughs> Greater Las Vegas are really teaching me anything from God. Who? Yeah, uh, you might want to if if one of these uh, prophets in training approaches you, just politely say no, thank you. Okay, because I just personally I just don't like taking the risk of hearing from the devil. I just it's just one of those things. Plus, it, it's it, it weird, but. Again, um, you know, um, he, he, the, the Lord does say in Jeremiah twenty three twenty one, I did not send those prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. Sounds like those dunamis training prophets. Anyway, if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned people from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. Yet, at the dunamis prophecy training school, right out of the chute, that's the one thing they're not going to do. So, I mean, it sounds like they're just like the false prophets of Jeremiah's time. Strange. Strange. So, yeah, yeah I, I would probably say don't have anything to do. If, if somebody wants to prophesy to you, first of all, get their credentials. I mean, if they're saying that they've been trained by the prophecy training school in, 
you know, the Dunamis Prophecy Training School in Las Vegas, yeah, shut them down quick. You're not going to be hearing from God. It's pretty darn clear that's the case. Wow. <laughs> so that's some practical stuff on how to prophesy there. All right, we're up on our um, first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We will be right back. Because only good theology leads people to heaven, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. It's Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. You have reached the voice mailbox for Melissa Fisher. Please leave a message after the tone. When finished, you may press one for more options. Hi, Melissa. It's the Holy Spirit. Um, I was wondering if you could help me out. I'm, I'm trying to uh, you know, get a hold of a guy named Vincent. That I, I can't remember his last name. This guy wants me to make myself real in his life, but I can't find his address or his phone number or email. The world is so complicated. You know how hard it is to find somebody if you can't remember their last name? Do you know how many Vincents there are in the world? He's, he said that he would leave his sin behind if I could just, you know, somehow reach out to him and prove that I'm real. So if you could make one of your really fancy videos and tell him that I'm calling him by name, but don't tell him that I can't remember his last name, I, I really would appreciate it. Oh, and, uh... One more thing, you might want to mention something about his adventurous heart. That way he'll know that the message is for him. Thanks, Melissa. I, you know, I don't know what I'd do without you. Hey, everyone. This word is for Vincent. Vincent, the Lord calls you by your name, and he is making himself known to you today. Now that he has made himself known to you, remember what you said. You said, Lord, if you would call me, if you would make yourself real, that I would come and I would leave, absolutely leave all 
of it behind and come to you because you've been wavering between two opinions. Now here it is. Vincent, the Lord is calling you. Come to him. The life is better on this side. Believe me. Give up the unfruitful works of darkness and walk completely in the light. And I tell you, Vincent, you won't be sorry. The Lord is ready to show you a mighty, mighty adventure. That adventurous heart that you have, the Lord is going to really, really reach in and he's going to satisfy that heart in you and it's going to be even more than you ever could have planned on your best day. So Vincent, come to the Lord. Wait no longer. Vacillate between two opinions no longer. Have you purchased your airline tickets for your summer getaway yet? If not, don't pay more for your airfare, hotel room, or rental car than you need to. Long-time Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheapo Air is your one-stop shop for all of your travel needs. And we've got a special promo code for you to use at Cheapo Air to save an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap Write down the promo code, then click on the web banner and book your travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That website address, again, is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. And thank you for your support. Cowabunga. Beware of highly inaccurate prophets. <laughs> the biblical standard is 100%. It ain't 95 or batting 300. It's 100%. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And also a reminder, we're still in the middle of our uh, second half of our summer bake sale. That the, We have a bake sale during the summer months to get us through the uh, lean, mean financial drain that is the summer months. And if you don't already have your Pirate Christian Radio t-shirt made by Pastor Daniel Price of uh, Trinity Church in northwest Arkansas, go to piratechristianradio.com forward slash bake sale. Take a look and order one of one for yourself today. I mean, they're fantastic. They're great. Love them. And we're getting... Great photographs from people like 
who are wearing them in, in interesting places. I received a photograph on my Facebook wall from a couple of listeners who were, uh, they were wearing theirs in front of the Pirates of the Caribbean. Now, when I looked at the Pirates of the Caribbean sign there, I'm thinking that was Disney World, not Disneyland. But yeah, I could be wrong, but it really did look like Disney World. It's a version of uh, the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, not the Disneyland in Anaheim. So, all right, let's move along here. And, you know, I don't have... <laughs> what what music would I use for this uh, update? You know what I'll do? I'll make it like a, a news story. Here. Had to make a decision. From Faith Lutheran Church, Greenfield, Indiana. I'm going to be reading a portion of uh, Pastor Daniel O'Connor's sermon entitled Words, Not Deeds. And uh, I don't have audio on this, so I have to read this. But uh, let me let me in fact let me uh, let me read the text. The text uh, for this is going to be uh, Matthew chapter seven. I'll start at verse fifteen, um, and I think I'll go to twenty three. Yeah, here it is. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So, every tree that bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. All right, now that's the gospel text that makes up the basis for, and I'm, like I said, I'm going to be reading this, uh, large portions of the sermon here. It's not very, yeah, you have to understand, the Lutheran homilies, they get to the point quick. You know, we Lutherans can say in 15 minutes what it takes a Calvinist an hour to say. I'm just, no, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's a joke. It's not true. <laughs> It is to say that homilies in the Lutheran <laughs> tradition are generally kept short, and a lot of the uh, you know the in-depth biblical instruction happens during you know a different time, <laughs> but not during the divine service. Normally during Sunday school. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. So uh, let me let me read to you uh, Pastor O'Connor's sermon. Okay, we're in, in, again. It's entitled "Words, Not Deeds." And going back, just remember the opening of the program. I asked the question: Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. What is the fruit of somebody who is a ravenous wolf? Uh, is this saying we test them by their works? Well, listen to what uh, Pastor O'Connor says. He says, There used to be an old mantra used by those folks from the more Protestant, shall we say, fundamentalist tradition of Christianity. By the way, I would disagree with him here. I think this this phrase actually comes from the Unitarian Universalists. But anyway, it went like this. Deeds, not creeds. It spoke of the importance of living the faith and not just confessing it so that others could see your faith and how you lived rather than how you spoke. To be sure, there is an element of truth to that. It is important to live the faith. Good works do matter for us Christians, but not as a means for salvation. When it comes to salvation in Christ, it's more a matter of words, not deeds. We see that from today's gospel reading, to which we now turn our attention, here again our Lord says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. 
you will know them by their fruits. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? What does he mean when he refers to fruits, usually, when people hear the uh, those verses? And I had this happen uh, on a shut-in call just the past this past week. They think of how a person lives. They think of deeds. I mean, later on in today's gospel, Jesus does go go on to say, not everyone who who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the reign or the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. So there you have it. He who does the will of Jesus' Father is the one who enters the the reign of heaven, right? Where Jesus says, you will know them, i.e. false prophets, by their fruits. People just assume, and I used to be one of those making this assumption, he's talking about how false prophets live, what they do. Again, he who does the will of my Father. But, folks, Jesus is not talking here about how false prophets live. He's talking about how they speak. You see, Jesus says in today's gospel that false prophets wear sheep's clothing, which means that to the outside world, they look pretty good. Their deeds are the kind that nobody questions. Not only that, but Jesus is speaking here about false prophets, and a prophet is known by what he says. A prophet speaks the words of God. Jesus says elsewhere in Matthew's gospel that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. So if someone claims to speak to you God's word, and inside they're a ravenous wolf, to use Jesus' metaphor, you'll know it by what flows to you from their heart. You will know it by their words. They won't speak in the manner of the good shepherd of the sheep, and in that their words will be wolf-like. So when Jesus says that we will know them, i.e. false prophets, by their fruits, he's talking about words, not deeds. A true prophet is one who speaks only as Jesus himself speaks. And what does Jesus speak? Well, in this section of his Sermon on the Mount, he speaks of mercy. He speaks of not judging your neighbor. He speaks of helping your neighbor, helping him overcome his or her sin and so avoiding God's judgment of your of your own. He speaks of loving your neighbor as he says just a few verses before those of today's gospel In everything, therefore, treat people the same way that you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. Referring, of course, to Leviticus chapter 19, 18, which says, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus speaks of love, folks. He speaks of mercy, our mercy, and love for our neighbor as a reflection of God's mercy and God's love for us in his Son. Yes, Jesus also speaks some pretty stringent words of law in his Sermon on the Mount. We heard some of those words a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Matthew chapter 5 and Jesus is teaching there on anger. But ultimately, Jesus teaches in a way that draws people to himself. He teaches in a way that leads people to trust in his own saving deeds for them. We see that when we look closer at Jesus' words about doing the will of his Father in heaven, we quoted them earlier, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the reign of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. At first glance, those words appear to to put the emphasis on a prophet's works, his doing the will of the Father, but they don't. 
For Jesus speaks of doing the will of his Father in two other places in Matthew's Gospel, and in the first place, chapter 12, he commands those following him for, uh, uh, commends those following him for doing the will of his Father. In the second, chapter 21, he commends those who follow John the Baptist. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus, leading people to repent. He pointed to the deeds of Jesus by laying the sin of the world upon Jesus in his baptism, in preparation for Jesus' death on the cross. When we put those two passages together, we see that for Jesus, doing the will of the Father means repenting of our sins. It means following the one John the Baptist pointed to by being a disciple of Jesus. One does that, of course, by heeding the words of Jesus. The words of Jesus are emphasized in this portion of the Sermon of the Mount. In fact, the words right after those of today's gospel are these. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine hears and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Jesus' words are important because they point to his deeds of death and resurrection for the world's salvation. A true prophet heeds those words. He repents of his sins, and he clings to the mercy of God in Christ. He trusts in the word of God's Son instead of his own deeds. He trusts in the word of God's forgiveness. A true prophet preaches and teaches only the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified and risen for his sins. Indeed, for the sins of the whole world, doing the will of the Father is about those words, not deeds. That's important because it speaks to what makes living the Christian life so difficult, the fact that we are always focused on our deeds. We get caught up in how bad we are, or at least in the awareness that we're not good enough. We deal with guilt and shame over the way we lead our sinful lives, or else we feel too smug about the good lives we lead, and we end up being self-righteous like the Pharisees of Jesus' day. The gospel, however, consists of the word of Jesus. Words that take our focus off of our deeds and put it squarely on the deeds of Jesus, who lived, died, and rose again for us. That's the key to being able to enjoy the blessings of the reign of heaven, keeping the focus of our attention on the words of Jesus, not our deeds of sin. True prophets help us do that. False prophets do not. And so today's gospel speaks a warning to us about false prophets, pastors or preachers. It tells us to beware of what they say to us, because if they tell us things that are supposed to be from God that do not point to the mercy of God's Son, then even though they may look like harmless sheep on the outside, inside they are ravenous wolves." I said a couple weeks ago that the key to understanding the Sermon on the Mount is to be read through the lens of the Beatitudes, which stand at the beginning. Well, it's the first Beatitude where Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That describes a true prophet, poor in spirit. A true prophet looks to God's spirit, present in his word to make him rich in Jesus. That's not just true for pastors either. But for all who endeavor to speak God's words to others, they, we, cling to that word for forgiveness. Jesus tells us in today's gospel again, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the reign of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven.
The will of the Father is to follow his Son, Jesus, believing that because of his death and resurrection, God's mercy and grace and forgiveness is for you. That is the message of God's Word, the message all true prophets speak. God grant that we all heed that message in faith and so cling to Jesus' words, not to our deeds. In his name, amen. Great sermon. Great, <laughs> great sermon. And I, let, I, I'm going to, by way of tag teaming, I'm going to just add a little bit of biblical emphasis here. Okay. Lenski, in his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, provides us some really good cross references that really help us flesh out the fact that the false prophets, the fruits that they bear, the bad fruit is bad teaching. And, and here's the idea is that, ultimately, this is the question we're trying to answer, is that false prophets, of course, they're going to have what looks like good deeds. The reason why is because those good deeds are the things that, that's the fleece that hides the wolf fur. You you see what I'm saying? Anyway, let me give you a couple of cross-references here that will help. Uh, The Apostle Paul, writing in, uh, well, not writing, but speaking in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, he's talking to the churches in Ephesus. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, okay? And, And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Notice here in Acts chapter 20, verse 30, the, God, the, the Apostle Paul said, makes it clear, the fruit that you're to be listening for are those who are speaking twisted things. And uh, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, neither day to admonish everyone with tears, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. So they're commended to God and the word of his grace, keeping in mind that, listen, there's there's wolves coming, and they're going to speak twisted things. And this is what Jesus is getting at. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. The Apostle Paul says here, in a direct cross-reference, that wolves are coming, they're going to speak twisted things. That's how you'll know they're a wolf, Okay. Other cross-references, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20, To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn, they have no light. Okay, False prophet will not speak according to the word of God. They'll twist it, mangle it, you know, make, you know, basically pull out their Ginsu knife and turn it into Julian fries, but they won't properly speak it and they won't preach Christ from it. Okay? 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out in the world. The way we test them is with the word of God. Hebrews 13, 9, Do not be led astray by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Do not be led astray or, or by diverse and strange teaching. Second John, um, uh, uh, verse nine. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Or verse eleven. 
For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Wicked works are, well, according to Second John, the wicked work of not abiding in the teaching of Christ that we have in Scripture. Okay? Um, in, you know, another sign here, that even Jesus points out, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 9, In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That's a sure sign. you got somebody who's teaching the doctrines of men. That's a wolf. They're, they're, going, you know, they're, they're not teaching what's in the Word of God. And of course, Titus chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, which make it clear that an overseer in the church must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always lazy, are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. See, the, the common theme throughout all the Scripture is that the fruit that you test a false prophet by are their words. If they're not teaching sound doctrine... If they're not pointing you to Christ, if they're going beyond what is written, if they are not abiding by what Scripture says, but running off on their own, okay, or comforting you in your sin rather than confronting you with it and driving you to repentance and forgiveness through Christ's shed blood on the cross, that's a false prophet. That's a false prophet. The fruit that you test a prophet by is their teaching. Plus Jesus himself in this gospel text. Listen to this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father on that day, the day of judgment. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Notice, they're pointing to their works. Lord, we prophesied in your name. Notice that that's what they're holding up to Jesus as somehow proof that they're a Christian. Look at, Lord, we prophesied in your name. They're pointing to their works, not Christ's. And we cast out demons in your name and did many mighty works in your name. See, on the last day, the false prophets point to all of their good works as if their good works somehow merit God's favor. So they're full of works that to the casual observer look like, quote, good works. But if you had listened to their teaching, you would have identified the fact that they were pointing you to Christ. They were pointing you to yourself and your own good works. And so they're, they're, they're holding up their good works to Jesus on the last day, right? Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Yep. Let me, uh, let me read to you what the, uh, the notes in the Lutheran Study Bible point out. False prophets. Such prophets seek to lead astray those on the narrow way. Okay, they are outwardly, these prophets seem to be followers of Jesus, but their goal is to devour the sheep. And then the note on verse 16 says this regarding fruits. 
It's used seven times in verses 16 through 20, and it does not refer to good deeds, but to what the prophet says, his preaching and his teaching. Grapes gathered, rhetorical question on judging a prophet. Okay, And then here's kind of the summary of this little section from the Lutheran Study Bible. Just as there are two ways, the good and the bad, so there are two kinds of prophets. One can identify false prophets by what they teach, especially by what they teach about the person and mission of Jesus. Here's what Luther said. You must hold on to the chief part, the summary of the Christian teaching, and accept nothing else, that God has sent and given Christ his Son, and that only through him does he forgive us all of our sins and justify and save us. Preserve me, O Lord, from all false prophets who would take away my trust for salvation in you alone. It's always the key, okay? And false prophets, you know, they they are very subtle. And they might use big words like vision casting. God has given me a vision. And they might point to how quickly and rapidly their church has grown as the miraculous proof that God has given them the vision. But when you listen to their teaching, that's where the fruit is. When you listen to their teaching, they're not pointing you to Christ and him crucified for our sins. They're pointing, well, you to them or pointing you to yourself and basically say, work harder. Do big things for God to somehow merit his favor. That's what they teach. Always a false prophet will take your eyes off of Christ and put him either squarely on the false prophet himself or herself nowadays, or have you basically hold up a mirror to constantly look to see if you're producing, you know, look to your own works as if somehow your own good works could stand on the day of judgment. Their works won't, and they will plead before Jesus on the day of judgment. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Prophecy apparently in God's name, don't you think that would be a good work? Do we not cast out demons in your name? That would be a good work. And do many mighty works in your name, and Jesus will declare to you, to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So when you hear the preaching of Matthew chapter 7, beware of false prophets, you will know them by their fruit. Their fruit is their words, not their deeds. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask me and my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. We will be right back. A sermon review on the other side of this break. Not, you're not going to want to miss it. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. From the creators who brought you Bible Pants and Vision Lacks comes the brand new super special awesome comedy album of the 21st century. Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater of the Budgie Cuts. Part 2. We here at Pirate Christian Studios have been hard at work crafting this album for maximum quality and hilarity. You'll cry. 
You'll laugh. <laughs> you'll scream. <laughs> and you'll have uncontrollable flatulence. Just stick to the script, please. So sorry, um... Buy it now while stocks last. They download it. There is no supply which to run out. Oh, so you mean they can just go right onto iTunes and download it? Yes. Like right now? If they want to, yes. Oh. Well, the heck with this commercial. I'm off to buy it right now. Get back here. We're not done yet. Max Holiday's Birdcage Shooter, The Budget Cuts Part 2. Disapproved of by Heretics Everywhere. Get it before they do. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. the bad the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon comes to us via cross point church nashville tennessee the sermon in question uh, is entitled dream and do i don't even know what to do with this but i mean it anyway we'll try to figure it out along the way this is uh, preached by guest preacher al andrews and um, I, I don't know. This is just another one of those false prophecy kind of sermons. It's like God wants you to, because He has a big imagination. He wants you to have a big ina- imagination. This isn't what the Bible teaches, and it doesn't point you to Christ. It points you to yourself. Let me uh, here. I'll kill the music, and uh, we'll just dive right into it. Here's Al Andrews and his sermon entitled "Dream and Do." Here we go. I'd like to welcome you just as kindly as I've been welcomed. Thank you for having me today. Welcome to you all here and to all the friends at the Bellevue campus, the Dixon uh, campus, and online. We're glad you're here to worship with us today. So um, today I'm going to talk about dreaming. And because I know that Sunday morning is kind of hard to get here and get everybody here, I'm going to ask you a question or two, and they're going to be very simple. The first question is this. What is this? Yeah, wrapping paper. All right, I told you they'd be pretty easy. Next question, what is this? Yes, beach towel, correct, good, see? All right, now, I want you to all imagine yourselves as a room full of three-and-a-half-year-olds, okay? Now, put down your juice boxes and answer a question for me. What is this? Yes, Sword, lightsaber, lightsaber, something like that. Correct. Good. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Three-year-olds, what is this? Yes. That's okay. So any three-and-a-half-year-old would know that if you put this together with this, you can conquer the world. Right? Yes. 
Yes. Now, another set of questions might be a little more difficult, but not much. A minute ago, you just told me that that was uh, some wrapping paper and a towel. And then it changed to a sword and a cape. What's the difference in a room full of three-year-olds and a room full of old footy daddies like you and me? Here it is. Kids, three-year-olds and four-year-olds, they live in imagination. They don't see what is. They see what it could be. They dream. They see. They're closer to the ground. They haven't learned like we've learned that you're not supposed to dream. It just is what it is. They live close to the ground. This morning, I want to talk to you about dreaming. I'm going to talk to you about dreaming in three parts. Part one, the God who dreams. Part two is a friend who dreams. And part three is my dream. I want to begin with the God who dreams. Listen to Romans 4.17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He, Abraham, our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Um, that doesn't say that God dreams. It doesn't say that at all. Um, in fact, let me, uh, <clears throat> let me read to you a couple of uh, passages and we'll, let's see if we can flesh some of this out. Deuteronomy 13.1, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, if he says to you, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, mind, and strength. Okay. So, you know, dreaming isn't always necessarily a, a good thing, at least biblically. Um, do, Jer, uh, Jeremiah 23, 25. I've been reading from Jeremiah 23 today. Here's what the Lord says. I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed. I have dreamed. Yeah, uh, Jeremiah 23, 25 warns us that false prophets, these are f- people who are speaking false words about God, one of their hallmarks is they say things like, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart? Now you're thinking, prophesy? He's not prophesying. Listen, anybody who's saying this is a teaching from God, they're engaging in general prophecy. Not Prophecy isn't always when somebody says, thus saith the Lord, tomorrow you will go to Chick-fil-A and you will get a chicken sandwich. You know, this, this prophecy, it doesn't always pertain to the thing regarding the future. A prophet is one who is a mouthpiece for God. So the general, uh, you know, somebody who's generally doing prophecy is one who claims to be teaching or speaking on behalf of God. And it's not just f- telling the future, it's forth telling what God wants to have spoken. So you need to understand that as a general rule for prophets. So I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesied lies in my name saying, 
I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the hearts of the prophet who prophesy or teach lies, who prophesy and teach the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams, that they tell one another even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal? Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I'm against the prophet, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, declares the Lord. Behold, I'm against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies, by their recklessness, when I did not send them or charge them, so they do not profit this people at all, declares the Lord. We continue. He calls things that are not as though they were. That means that God doesn't see what is. He looks at life, at people, at situations, and he imagines what will be, what can be. Let me explain. I want you to imagine something that around this table are sitting the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they each have a water bottle. And I want you to imagine them in a conversation a long, long time ago. And here's conversation number one. You know, why don't we, says one of them, why don't we create a people just for ourselves? A special people, a holy nation that we would love, that would love us and represent us in this world. Somebody else goes, great idea. And to get that process started, let's get a father and mother of this nation. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were in charge of picking a father and mother of a new nation, I would pick this young, virile, fertile couple and say, you're the father and mother of this nation. Go at it. Then we come back to this table and the discussion continues. Somebody says... There he is, that 75-year-old man, Abraham. And, And how about his wife, Sarah? They're old. They're unable to have children. They're not too far from dying. Let's pick them. And somebody else goes, yes, that's perfect. And they do. And their descendants are like the sands of the sea. Another kind of... Okay, I want to point something out here. He's not actually engaging in biblical teaching. He's hijacking biblical characters that we know of, Abram and Sarah, and he's telling a different narrative than what the biblical narrative is to somehow say, let's look at how God has an imagination, how God dreams. And see, that's what you you need to do too. You need to dream like God does. The text doesn't say this. And if you listened carefully to his theology in there, his theology belies the fact that he's not pointing us to Christ's work and for our salvation, but somehow pointing us to our keeping of the law, confusion of law and gospel, truly. Conversation. This Pharaoh dude has given our people problems for a long time. It's time to change things. 
Somebody else says, that's a great idea. Let's get somebody to go to him and say, let my people go. I don't know about you, but when I think of that, I think, you know what? I want the Terminator. I want somebody to come in from the future and go up to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Something like that. But we go back to the table and the discussion continues. And it's something like this. Oh my gosh, there's a little shepherd over there and he stutters. Somebody else goes, oh my gosh, that's perfect. Let's get him. And they laugh and they high five and they go, perfect. (laughs) And they call Moses. And Moses somewhat hesitantly goes before Pharaoh, says, let my people go. And he does. So there's this giant named Goliath. Somebody says, he's freaking everybody out. It's time. Again, I want to point out, he's not actually engaging in a biblical teaching. He's hijacking biblical characters and smuggling into them into his narrative, his story that he's woven about the importance of dreaming dreams. I mean, look at how God dreams. I mean, he called a stuttering shepherd to lead the people of Israel. Uh, uh, you know, look at how God dreams. He chose a dried up old man to to build a nation for himself. Oh, wow, we need to be just like that. This is not a biblical teaching. He's teaching the deceit and lies of his own heart. Time to kind of like take him out of the game. Who shall we get? Well, I don't know about you, but if I was in charge, this is the time for the SWAT team. Heavy stuff, go in, boom, get rid of him. But they have this discussion. Are you beginning to see a pattern here? How about the guy with the slingshot? The little kid. The little kid with the slingshot. How about him? Perfect, says somebody else. And David walks out of the crowd. Keep in mind that David is in the direct lineage of Jesus Christ. He, Yeah, oh man. You think they just randomly pick some kid with a slingshot, really? And everyone in the crowd laughs and mocks, and he goes like this. In a few minutes, he's down. Goliath is down. And they're over here high-fiving each other, having a great time. And then there's this young church, this young church that's beginning to blossom and bloom and grow. And somebody says, we need somebody to speak to this church to lead them, to be prophetic, to talk to them with authority. And I I don't know about you, but if I were to pick somebody, I would pick somebody that people listened to, that people respected, that that commanded an audience, that people follow. I'd pick Pete, for goodness sakes, why not? But somebody says, I know what. How about Paul, that guy who's been killing Christians and been dragging fathers and mothers from their homes and their children and throwing them in jail just for spite. Somebody else says, well, it might take some work to get him from point A to point B, but I like the idea. Right? He goes, yes, let's do it. And that's who they pick. And that's who we read on a daily basis who still teaches us. He is a God who sees things that are not as though they were. 
Boy, he's putting a lot into that verse that ain't there. He doesn't just see these people. Maybe it's because God sees the end from the beginning. Maybe it's because God is sovereign and he elects. He sees and he imagines. Do you see it? No, he doesn't say that he imagines. Do you get it? Do you see how God imagines? No, I don't get it from this text at all. That is not an old man and an old woman. That is not a little boy. That is not a shepherd who can't speak. That is not a killer of Christians. It is, and he goes on, and he imagines what they will be and what they will do. See, and look, wow. You can be like that, too. God is imagining something great for you. All you need to do is embrace the God imagination for your life purpose, too. And we could list others. Mary, she is not a mother. Peter, he is not wise. He rebuked Jesus twice and on and on and on. So what characterizes this God who dreams, who imagines? He never takes things or people at face value. Never. That's not what this text says. He doesn't look and say, oh, that's that. He looks at somebody and he goes, ah, that's what they will be. He looks The fact that Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins is proof that God takes us at face value. Paul really was a murderer, and Christ bled and died for his murders. David, literally the, uh, the great ancestor of, of Jesus Christ, whose kingdom, his, whose kingship Jesus will literally hold for eternity. He will sit on the throne of David forever. David truly was a murderer and an adulterer. And God takes that at face value and he bleeds and dies for his sins. This is a duplicitous, snaky, serpenty teaching that we're hearing here. Looks at that situation. He doesn't, he's not worried about that. He sees what it can be. He causes people to stay up in the middle of the night with the terror and the thrill of the calling. Think about it, Moses. I am so afraid. Moses, I'm thrilled that I get to say it to Pharaoh. The terror and the thrill. He invites people to depend upon him. I can't do this. It's too big. You're right. Lean on me. We'll do it. We'll do it. His dreams always bring good to the world. Think about it. Everything that he dreams brings good and rescues men and women. Sometimes it saves lives. There's a difference between... Think about it. Why don't you read it to me? Why don't you, if this is really a biblical teaching, show me from context. Go on, open up the Bible. Read the texts in context. Between a dream and a fantasy. A fantasy benefits you. A dream benefits others. There's a difference. And finally, his dreams are usually crazy. They're nuts. They're nuts. Think about this. Every situation we've talked about, it's nuts, isn't it? And then we read 
in um, Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In other words, we are image bearers. That means, as an image bearers, when people look... Notice he reads the opening of Genesis, where Adam and Eve are created in the image of God. Um, you want to explain to me what happened to the image of God in humanity when Adam and Eve in chapter 3 rebelled and sinned against God? Because the Apostle Paul, writing in Ephesians and in Romans, said there's none righteous, that we're all born dead in trespasses and sins. Jesus calls the basically the children of men uh, the children of the devil. You are of your father the devil. Um, so want to explain to me the ravages of sin and what effect it might have had on the Imago Dei? You're kind of leaving out an important part of the story there, dude. Look at you, they see God. No pressure. When they look at you, they see something about what God is like. Man, this is terrible. I got to back this up. This is, this is serpentine. Image bears, when people look at you, they see God. No pressure. When they look at you, they see something about what God is like. So when he creates, you create. When he imagines, you imagine. That's the way it works. You're an image bearer. So what is it? You're just like God. Isn't isn't that what the what the devil, the big temptation of Satan in uh, in Genesis three was all about? Let me pull this up. Genesis chapter three. Let's see here. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. Um, he said to the woman, "Did God actually say, or did God really say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden?" The woman said to the serpent, "Well, we may eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, but God did say, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you shall you die." The serpent said to the woman, "You will not surely die." For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when people look at you, they see God. I told you this was a snaky, serpenty sermon. It mean, what are the characteristics of a person who dreams like God? Well, it's the same thing, one through five. You never take anything at face value. Don't believe it. You invite others and yourself to a larger dream, something so out of the box, people won't believe it. We invite people and ourselves to depend on him. Our dreams are to bring good to the world, and we need to be crazy. We need to be crazy. Yeah, yeah. Where in the Bible does it say that we need to be crazy? Again, none of this is taught in Scripture. This is not biblical doctrine. This is a doctrine of demons. I know enough about you as a church to know that you're crazy. You do crazy things. You show up and make a difference in this community. You're crazy. That's a good thing, by the way. You're crazy. Part two is a friend who dreams. I have this friend who dreams and imagines. I don't know if you remember, of course you do, what you did the night of 9-11. But in my home, we were just sitting there kind of quiet and stunned and like, what do you do? This is awful. I have a friend named Bob, and he pulled his family together that night, and he asked this question, family, three kids and his wife, what are we going to do about our world? Now, that's a question that belongs at this table, doesn't it? Because it's kind of nuts. What are we five people going to do about our world? 
And he asked them, if you could be in front of any world leader, if you could write a letter to a world leader, what would, what would you say? And the seven-year-old said, I would like to invite him to a sleepover, <laughs> which a seven-year-old would do. The next one said, who was about 10 or 12, I would, like to, um, I would like to ask them what they hope for. And the older one said, I would like to ask if we could come and visit. And then we'd ask that question. Um, and then if we'd videotape it, maybe we could show it to other world leaders and maybe they could learn to get along. And then we'd invite them to come to our house. So he said, well, why don't we do that? That's crazy. So they got on the CIA website and they downloaded all the addresses of 300 world leaders. Okay, like Obama, White House, that kind of thing. Because that's there, I suppose. Um, and they wrote him a letter. Hi, we're three kids from San Diego. Uh, we're concerned about our world. We'd love to come and visit you and talk to you about hope and give you an invitation. Well, as you can imagine, they started getting letters back. Thank you very much for your invitation. Sorry I can't come, the queen, or something like that. Um, <laughs> It's a, but it's nice. I hope, wish you well. They kept getting no's, no's, no's. And then they got a yes. Sure, come. And then they got, a, they got 30 yeses. So they took them out of school, flew around the world, landed at airports, met by security, taken to presidential palaces. Parents had to stay downstairs with the suitcase. Kids went up on the elevator, and they opened the door, and they sat down with presidents, prime ministers, vice presidents, and they asked them what gave them hope. They talked to them, they prayed with them, and the littlest at the end gave them a key and a map to their house. <laughs> That's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. It, it is crazy. And you know what's crazier? Um, they've had some visits. They've had some visits. Um, and now and then when there's trouble in the world, I think these world leaders still get a letter from somebody that says, praying for you. Crazy. I wonder if they'd mind if I had a water. <laughs> I guess it's okay. Theologically, we'll talk about that later. Anyway, um, so this is a friend of mine who dreams, part three, a dream of mine. My friend asked me a question one day. He said this, Al, what do you dream? I said, Bob, I'm living the dream. I'm in a town I love, doing a job I love, have a family I love. I'm living the dream. It's really great. He said, that's, that's good, Al. What do you dream? And after a while, I realized what he was saying to me. What do you dream that sits you at this table? What do you dream that pulls up a chair here and says, okay, let's dream something crazy, something that scares me in the middle of the night, something that takes something that's face value and doesn't pay attention to it, Something that dreams big, out of the box, is nuts. That's what he was asking me. And so I thought and I prayed and I thought and I prayed, and I finally it came to me. I have been so blessed by very, very generous people all my life, and I've looked at what they've done in this world. In fact, when I was getting ready to go to graduate school, two old ladies came up to me and said, God has told us that we want to pay for your graduate school. And I went, okay. <laughs> Thank you. And they did. They paid for my graduate. I've been so influenced by generous people. I've come up with what I want, that my dream. He said, what's your dream? I said, Bob, I want to be a philanthropist. I sponsor some kids with some organizations that tithe, but I want to build a school 
I want to build a hospital. I want to be a philanthropist. Now, if you know me, you know there's a problem with that statement. But I feel very good because I'm kind of in good company saying something like that. But there's a problem with this statement. And that is, philanthropists are rich. I, on the other hand, am not. To give away money, you have to have money. So Bob and I are driving around his town that day, and we're coming up with these ideas about how to make money. And it's really, we're talking, how can we make money? We're talking like two people who are, um, two kids who are talking about building a spaceship. You know, it was that kind of energy and that kind of fun. And it was almost like no one has ever sat around talking with each other about how we're going to make money. You know, it's like, this is unique. And we, but we kept talking, we kept dreaming. And, and then I remembered, I thought, I think I have it, Bob. I think it's this. I think what I'm going to do is um, I wrote a poem a few years ago when I was walking through a park and I saw this kite dangling in a tree. It was dangling there and I remembered all the times my family had been flying kites. And every time from the beginning on that we've flown kites, we've never come home with a kite. Who's this guy preaching about? Is he pointing you to Christ? Is he preaching Christ's words? Never. Have any of you come home with a kite? We've never come home. And I'm thinking, why in the world do people do that? Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. That means their teaching. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. That means their teaching. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You think it's the will of God? that somebody would get up during the sermon time and preach about himself and twist God's word and tell you to have a big imagination and to dream dreams. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Are you hearing a true prophet today? Is this man pointing you to Jesus Christ? Or are you hearing a false prophet and a wolf who would point to his good works and say, look at all the good that I'm doing in the world. What a great big imagination I have. Or is he pointing you to Jesus Christ and him crucified for your sins? Is he rightly teaching God's word? True prophet or false prophet? This, because it always ends up sad. Kids are crying, and you're, but we buy them more kites, Right? Why don't we just take them to the zoo where they're monkeys and it's happy and you come home and everybody's happy. But no, we keep, and I kept, so I wrote, I went back to my office and I wrote a poem in defense of buying children's kites. And I called it the boy, the kite, and the wind. I put it into my file of poems that is, uh, that's going to be fi- found after my death. Oh, I'll write poems. Um, but, so Bob says, so I said, Bob, I, I have an idea. I think I can take this poem and I can turn it into a children's book because it's 15 lines and that's about all I have time for. And so I can do a children's book and I can sell that book and make lots of money and give it away. And we're, we're getting over here again to the crazy part. And he goes, that's, of course he would. He goes, that's great. 
He didn't quote me statistics like 95% of the books that will be written this year sell less than 5,000 copies, but I knew that. The next day, I opened Newsweek magazine, and there was an article on Eric Carle, who wrote The Very Hungry Caterpillar. How many have that book? Yes, lots of you. Um, uh, the hu- Hungry Caterpillar doesn't appear in the Bible. Um, you and 29 million other people in the United States own one of Eric Carle's books. Times $15 equals $435 million. That's philanthropy money, right? <laughs> so I went to Bob and said, that's it, that's it. That's my plan. And so I came up with this six-point plan. First of all, I named this adventure Improbable Philanthropy, I being the improbable philanthropist. And I had a six-point plan, and it's this. Number one, write a children's book, check. Number two, hire an illustrator. Number three, self-publish. Number four, get on Oprah, Ellen, The View, or Crosspoint TV. Check. (laughs) Sell a boatload of books. Make lots of money. And number six, become a philanthropist and give 100% of the net profits to organizations around the world that are doing good. Piece of cake. Piece of cake. So I began to work. I tweaked the poem took it to a publisher friend here in town. She said, I love it. Um, but she published different kinds of books. She said, let me introduce you to the world of illustrators. She gave me a big book called The Picture Book and said, flip through this and find somebody you like and we'll call them. So I flipped through about a thousand different illustrators and I saw a picture and I went, that's my guy. We called him up kind of sheepishly, said, hi, um, I'm Al. And uh, I don't do this, but... I was wondering if you would illustrate my book and told him about it. Found out he's a believer. He's the head of the visual arts department at Taylor University. And he advertised in this book three years ago, and it was out of date. And he realized that nobody was going to call him. And he basically said, I've been waiting for your call. So I found an illustrator. Check. About this time, I got home. And I was sitting there and going, oh my gosh, I've just committed $10,000 to someone that I have to pay in about eight months. And you might remember, I don't have money. (laughs) So I I just kept going. And I was having lunch with a friend one day. And this friend um, was listening to the story. And he said, you know, I want to buy the art. And he wrote me a check for $10,000. And since that time, I found that dreams are like a pickup basketball game. When you start dreaming crazy things, people want to dream with you and they join with you. So we've had this team of people come on that's helping to manage, that's helping to publicize, that's helping to do logos, that's helping to do art direction, that's helping to do shipping and handling. And and then another group of people comes along and says, you need a website. And I went, oh yes, we do. And so we made a a website called improbablephilanthropy.com or why should Bill Gates get to have all the fun? Um, and somebody else said, you need to tweet. And I went, I'm too old to tweet. And they go, you need to tweet. So I'm tweeting at itsalandrews. Or it's Al Andrews, yeah. You know how to do it. And I do tweets or whatever they're called just for this book. I don't let you know anything about, else about my life because I don't want you to know. Um, but, y'all, this stuff is beginning to work. I got a call not long ago, and it was this. Hello, uh, may I speak to Al Andrews? Yes, this is Al Andrews. Um, have you sold the film rights to your book yet? And I went, tell me why you're asking. They said, well, we're 
Um, I'm working with acquisitions for a large uh, motion picture studio, and they announced it. And we were looking on your website, and this seems like it would be a very interesting short film. So have you sold the rights yet? And I said, just a minute, let me talk to corporate. <laughs> Came back and they said, no, they're not. We have not, but there's a lot of activity. <laughs> um, there's a lot of activity. So um, it's crazy. Uh, we finished the book. Um, and it was uh, the artist finished it last May, uh, May, a year and a half ago. Finished the book, and he, um, he said to me, uh, I went to pay him his check for $10,000, and he said, Al, um, I want you to write that check to Compassion International, because those kids need it more than I need it. Um, and so we're in the process of building two child survival centers, one in uh, the Philippines and one in India, um, and that's before it got going. Um, we've sold about 3,000 books so far. Now, Dream, uh, we're just starting. Our Dream is selling about 100,000 books, which means we could give away a million dollars, which would be a blast. And I'd sit at this table, and we'd high-five, and we'd laugh. Can you believe that? I'm a philanthropist. So, can I read you the book? What are you going to say? No. (laughs) No. Um, All right, let's go. It's called The Boy, The Kite, and The Wind. Uh, Just a reminder, it's not found in the Bible. The purpose of preaching is to preach the Word of God. Um, Boy, we're learning a lot about Al here. Absolutely nothing about God. Anything he said has been taken out of context and ripped and twisted. Cue sappy music. One day, I saw a kite tangled in the high branches of a century-old oak. Its long, tattered tail flapped in the gentle breeze, a whisper of a much stronger wind that once carried it across the sky. I wondered about the boy who flew the kite and watched it lift higher and higher into a crisp autumn sky. I wondered if the mystery of this wild and invisible force caused his heart to soar with hope and awe. I wondered if he was lifted too. And I wondered how long he wept when the towering tree, hiding and waiting, finally snatched his kite from the sky. I wondered why the father bought his boy the kite when he knew full well that most kites in their days caught by the branches of some greedy old tree. In truth, I understand why he bought the boy the kite. What exactly made this a Christian sermon? Yeah, nothing. It's not. This isn't a Christian sermon. He bought the boy the kite because the memory of the wind is stronger than the memory of the kite. He bought the boy the kite to show that the eternal wind will outlast anything that flies in it. He bought the boy the kite because one day that boy will have a son too, and the wind will blow. And his heart will need to soar, and his heart will someday break. For the boy who had a son will love his son, who will love the wind as well, and one day he will be lifted to the end. You know, sometimes dreams take flight. Crazy dreams can take flight. 
When I began this thing, I went to a group, a number of friends of mine who works in non, work in nonprofits, and I went to each of them and I said, um, I'm going to be rich for about 30 hours, and when I am, I want to do something for you. What do you need? And one of those people was Becca Stevens, who runs Thistle Farms right down the street from here, one of your neighbors. It's a place where they invite women who have a history of drug addiction and on the streets with drugs and prostitution. They invite them to a new life. And they have a factory, um, a manufacturing center just right down there where they need some help. And so I told her that um, they would be our first project, and that's what we're doing today. So the first project for Thistle Farms officially has begun. And we need about to sell about 2,000 books. But if we sell about 1,000 books today, either here or online, uh, we'll buy them what you're going to see in a minute. We'll show you a brief film. Um, and so uh, outside on the both exits, there are books for sale. Um, love for you to be a part of what we call Team Improbable. Um, and so as we close, before you see this little film, I have a question for you. What is this? It's a saber. What's this? At least a cape. At least a cape. You're right. And I want to tell you that the God of Abraham and Moses and Paul and Mary and all of us invites you to sit at this table today to see things that are not as though they were, to see impossible things, to dream it and to do it. Amen. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. That means their teaching. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but disease, the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits that means their teaching not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day many will say to me lord did we not prophesy in your name did we not do philanthropy in your name cast out demons in your name do mighty works and make the world a better place and dream big dreams and then i will declare to them i, I never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness Did Al point us to Jesus? No. Steered us clear away from him. Did Al rightly handle God's word? Not even close. Did he point us to our crucified and risen Savior, confront people with their sins, call them to repentance and faith and trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins? You know he didn't. Not even close. True prophet or false prophet? That's the question. So what would you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.